0: Chapter Seven Part Two of Tales of a Vanishing River. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Hirsch. Tales of a Vanishing River by Earl H. Reed. The Turkey Club the reverend butters had been a sorrowful spectator of the proceedings of the afternoon but his furrowed face brightened when josh varney gracefully presented him with one of the big dripping birds that he was carrying to his buggy in prayer before his congregation on the following sunday he expressed humble gratitude with the words out of the iniquities of the world o lord has sustenance come to the body of thy servant and beneath a cloak of sin have thy blessings been transmitted unto thine anointed one the relations between the old preacher and rat hyatt had been slightly embarrassing since rat's conversion and sudden backsliding of the year before and they had little to say to each other when they met Rat was now regarded as a hopeless loss and a minute part of hell's future fuel supply. He considered his former spiritual comforter a busted windbag, so there seemed little left to say on either side. On the way back to the boats I reflected on the degrading entertainment of the afternoon. Outside of what Pop Wilkins called the Horning in of That Turkey Pirate, the day was considered a success the well-aimed bullets had thrilled the spectators with savage joy for somewhere in the heart of nearly every average human abides the primitive lust for blood the marksmanship might just as well have been exhibited on inanimate and unsuffering targets the helpless turkeys in the boxes gratified the baser instincts to the extent of their limitations and when they were all dead the crowd went home as happy as if it had been to a bull-fight a prize-ring or to any other brutal spectacle disguised by pretended admiration of scientific ability on the way back down the river our boats kept close together and there was much discussion over the day's events pop wilkins delivered a long tirade against varney and wound up by modestly admitting that probably he would have beheaded all of the birds with his squirrel rifle if he had had the opportunity so after all it was merely a question as to who shot first that feller could probably thread needles with that damn rifle observed bill I've read of fellers that had telescope eyes, and a sick sense that somehow couldn't miss nothin' they ever shot at. They could plunk holes wherever they wanted to, like they was using a gimlet. I wonder what he wasted them for extra cartridges for. Probably so's to make a nice sociable feelin' all round and make em think it wasn't quite so raw he probably goes to shoots all over the country and sells the plunder in the market the chill winds of a desolate winter had swept through the naked woods along the river and a balmy may had come with its tender unfolding leaves of hope and perfumed blossoms when josh varney again appeared on the scene well well how's everybody he shouted genially as he drove up in front of Posey's store one forenoon with a roan horse and a smart new buggy we're slowly getting well say professor ain't you got no gun with you have you queried bill as the pair shook hands cause if you have there's a lot of us that's going to hide some poultry now, look here, Bill, you don't want to be sore about that little shooting last fall. I gave all them turkeys to some poor folk, and they'd done a lot of good. I just happened to hit them, and I couldn't repeat that performance in a hundred years. You bet you couldn't round here if we seen you first, replied Bill. I'd hate to furnish turkeys for you to shoot at for a hundred years, and I'd hate to be the poor people waiting for you to feed birds to them. Say, what you got up your sleeve this trip? Something still funnier, I suppose. Posey was busy with the customer, and Barney remained with us on the platform. He produced some murky and doubtful cigars that Bill declared looked like genuine El Hempos, and we smoked and talked for some time. Pop Wilkins joined us, and Sophie Perkins arrived at the store to purchase some calico, she bestowed a reserved nod and a feline glance on varney and greeted the rest of the party with scant politeness she stood just inside near the entrance and utilized the time posey was spending with his other customer in listening to our conversation she soon became so absorbed in it that she forgot all about her calico and remained riveted to her point of vantage posy respected her preoccupation and busied himself with other things after his first visitor had left through the side door the chairs outside were tipped against the long window sill, and the party was making itself comfortable in the spring sunshine varney was relating a wondrous tale and was fully aware of the acute eavesdropping within many of the romantic touches in his discourse were apparently for Sophie's benefit i got a long letter from a friend of mine said josh as he felt through his inside pockets and i wish i had it with me but i guess i left it somewhere he's making a trip round the world and he writes me that in india he ran across a marvellous breed of turkeys you know turkeys originated in india and they come from there first about five hundred years ago these strange birds he writes about live away up in the himalayan mountains and are pure white they're much larger than ordinary turkeys and their color adapts them to the snowy peaks and protects them from the natives when they pursue em out of the valleys where they go to eat frogs along the watercourses they live almost entirely on frogs when they can get them. When they're disturbed, they wing back to the frozen heights, and sometimes don't come down for a year. When they're hunted up there, they fly from crag to crag, and then they're almost invisible. And it's a funny thing, but their meat's all white, too. They ain't no dark meat on like there is on common turkeys. They lay enormous eggs and the eggs generally have two yolks sometimes twins hatch out of em the double yolks give an extra amount of vitality to the young turks which is necessary up among the cold rocks where they're hatched the eggs have a delicious spicy flavor that comes from the spearmint and other pungent plants that the frogs nibble on along the streams the eggs are highly prized by epicures, and there's a Frenchman livin' in Bombay that pays two rupees apiece for all he can get of em. He makes what he calls omelets de frog secondaire or something like that with em, and he says there's nothing like him. With him, it's hen eggs no more. There's a sacred caste in India called the Brahmins, and they believe that these white turkeys are what they call reincarnations of a supernatural race of beings that ruled the earth before man existed. Somebody ought to import some of them turkeys and breed them in this country. Along a river like this, they'd find plenty to eat, and they wouldn't be no expense at all my friend writes that he opes to bring two or three back with him when he comes home and i'm anxious to see him oh yes come to think of it i put a photograph in my pocket-book that was in the letter barney thereupon produced a kodak print of a stately white bird some figures in oriental costume somewhat out of focus and indistinct were grouped back of it in the picture varney explained that these were the brahmins and native hunters Sophie peeked over the pile of straw hats in the window and had a good look at the photograph as varney deftly held it so that it could be seen from that direction without appearing to do so we were greatly entertained by the story say professor asked bill What do them fowls and their young'uns feed on when they don't get off in the snow and go down for frogs? Do they have to have the frogs for their complexions? That's the strange part of it, replied Varney. You see, they sort of lead double lives. Nature is wonderful in all her works. In the Himalayas there's a small red mosquito that has never been found except away up above the timber line. They have em out west in this country, too. They sometimes cover the snow so thick that it looks like blood, and the little Turks patter round on the drifts and eat em with veracity, and the big ones do, too. Veracity? What's that? Something they're mixed with? asked Bill. No, it means their awful appetite. I'd suppose them skeets'd make the turkey meat taste kind of like nippy and prickly, "'Sort of red-pepper-like,' observed Bill, winking solemnly in our direction. "'It oughta be hot stuff.' "'The insects make the finest kind of food for them,' continued Varney, ignoring Bill's gentle raillery and the incredulous smiles of the rest of us. "'When the mosquito crop's extra good, they get so fat they can't fly or run very far, and they are easily caught.' When they lean, they can run like a racehorse. The bird that's in the picture weighed nearly 70 pounds when he was captured. He couldn't fly, and he was chased into a cleft in the big rock, and a net was slipped over him. The man that caught him was named Swami, and he was a famous hunter. You see, everybody has funny names in India. "'What was that bungish feller doing up there with a net?' asked Pop Wilkins. "'Did he expect to find fish?' "'No, he took it up there for that very purpose. He wanted to catch his birds alive, without injury, so he could sell them to the museums and menageries. One year he caught seven and shipped em to the zoo in Bombay. and That's how that Frenchman I just spoke of happened to try the eggs.' They laid em in the zoo, and the keeper to zoo was a friend of his. You asking about specting to find fish up there reminds me that my friend said in his letter that another way they had a catchin' the birds was to lay out set lines over the snow with big fish hooks on em. They fastened em to the jagged rocks and left em out there three or four days. They baited the hooks with frogs they'd brought up from down below. The frogs, of course, froze, but the turkeys would swallow em, and when the frogs thawed out inside their crops they'd be stuck with the hooks. My friend wrote that one man got three on one line once and had a terrible time pulling em in over the rough ice and snow. They have some awful snowstorms up in them mountains. Sometimes it snows for years without letting up, and the snow gets to be half a mile deep. So you see there's lots of uncertainties. At this point Bill removed his tattered hat and bowed reverently to Varney. Pop Wilkins remarked that he had often caught turkeys on fish lines, but his custom had been to troll for them through the open fields with spoon hooks or use a pole in line with a casting bait when the birds were in the trees. Although he had never tried set lines on snow, he had no doubt it would work this subject was changed and Sophie, after making her purchase departed without looking in our direction that feller's the oiliest liar i ever heard declared bill after varney had transacted his business and gone and he tells interestin lies too it beats me how he does em it's a sort of natural gift like singin and drawin pictures and i love to hear him throw it most liars'd stop when they seen it wasn't soaking in and people was getting weak, but the professor keeps right on till the gooseflesh comes. Say, Pop, you and me'll have to ferment something to drown him with when he blows around here again. Let's tell him one that'll put him out of business for six months. All right, Bill, you be thinking of it. You something of a past master yourself. I'm going home to rest. I got enough for one day. Barney chuckled quietly to himself as he crossed the bridge for with his story he had woven a web of many meshes and to it he hoped time would bring valuable spoil he knew that he could rely on Sophie's cupidity and insatiable curiosity to start something and when he came again it was his intention to amplify and strengthen the groundwork he had laid a week later the firm by whom josh was employed received a mysterious letter asking all about him it came from the county seat and was afterwards ascertained to have been written by one of Sophie's acquaintances undoubtedly at her instigation this was a characteristic and favorite form of strategy with Sophie, and was quite recognizable to josh when the letter was shown to him the reply that he suggested was sent by his obliging employers it contained the assurance that mr varney was a gentleman of high repute he had sold their goods for several years and they considered his honesty and ability above question in due course of time Sophie began to agitate the idea of getting some of those wonderful white foreign turkeys that she had accidentally heard about into the neighborhood she thought that the club ought to take the matter up bill assured her that the professor was handin out bunk the day that things was bein accidentally overheard inside and anything from em would be about like what he put over at the Thanksgiving shoot this spirit of opposition only stimulated Sophie and the subtle josh had calculated on it to a nicety he knew that the seed was now in fertile soil and he calmly awaited the harvest in a month he came again and incidentally mentioned that his friend who wrote him about the himalayan white turkeys had arrived in new york he had started home with three birds but two of them had been sickened by the roll of the ship on the way over and had died just before getting into port the one that survived the voyage was the remarkable gobbler that was in the picture he had shown on his last trip to the store this bird'll cause a lot of excitement in this country he declared they call him hyder alley and he's named after a famous mahometan general that fought in asia a good many years ago this man hyder ali pretty nearly cleaned the english out of india once and they had a hot time getting em canned there's been ships and perfumery and race horses and bands of cigars and lots of other things named after him He was one of the most famous men that ever lived in that part of the world. By degrees, the imaginative and romantic Josh succeeded in creating an atmosphere of avid interest in everything related to Hyder Alley, the marvelous fall from beyond the briny seas, and he intended to intensify this atmosphere to the point of precipitation at the proper time a couple of weeks later varney told posey that he had bought the himalayan gobbler from his friends but did not know what to do with him for a week or ten days as the man that was going to take care of it for him was away it was arranged that the gobbler was to be brought to the store and temporarily installed in the chicken yard near the barn on the following saturday afternoon when josh well knew that there would be a full attendance at posey's that gay and debonair gentleman came in a light spring wagon he was accompanied by a young man with a thick American accent who drove the rig and whom he introduced as mr flaherty interest immediately centered on the big box perforated with many auger holes that stood in the wagon back of the seat the vehicle was followed by the agitated and curious crowd as it was driven back to the chicken yard the box was tenderly removed and placed inside the wire netting enclosure by varney and flaherty the appearance of hyder alley had been skillfully timed the composite effect of varney's discourses on the subject of this wondrous bird had been to produce psychologic conditions that he considered quite perfect for his dark purposes he knew that the halo of prestige and romance that had been patiently made to glow around hyder alley would become still brighter when that peerless bird burst dramatically upon the rustic stage out of the opened door of the box there came, with delicate mincing steps and regal mane, what, to that crowd, was almost a celestial vision. He was an enormous bird. With the exception of his eyes, he was pure white, even to his carunculated neck wattle and comb. The eyes were of a deep pink and gleamed like iridescent opals in their snowy setting the slender comb dangled and hung jauntily on one side like the tassel on a turkish fez and it imparted a rakish oriental air the head was crowned with a dainty wisp of airy feathers that would have fluttered the heart of the most obdurate of hen turkeys The shifting light revealed pearly half-tones in the snowy raiment. He was immaculate, and would hardly have seemed out of place on a pedestal. Many strange and queer things have stood on pedestals in this world, both in fact and fancy, and Hyder Alley would have ranked very far from the lower end of the scale. He paused on being released from what to him must have been a humiliating confinement, looked disdainfully at his surroundings, and nonchalantly acquired a fat green tomato worm that decorated a nearby leaf. He walked slowly and with lordly dignity about the enclosure, apparently conscious of the wonder and admiration he was attracting. He seemed like some rare exotic, entirely foreign to the strange environment into which an indiscriminate fate had thrust him. "'Let joy be unconfined! We've got hider alley!' shouted Bill, half sarcastically, as he joined the awe-stricken crowd. He had arrived too late to witness the unloading, but he was impressed with the fact that Varney had at least in some measure, made good. However, the demon of distrust still lingered in his heart. He had never seen or heard of anything that looked like Hyder Alley before, but was disposed to restrain his enthusiasm and await further developments. Sophie Perkins came late in the afternoon and was in a highly flustered state she spent a long time at the chicken yard with her wistful eyes riveted on the distinguished guest to own that bird would crown her futile and disappointed life with bliss she longed for its possession as one who beseeches fate for the unattainable seemingly in response to her fervent gaze Hyder alley spread his tail feathers into vast fan-like forms over his downy back his pink eyes glistened with alluring and changing beams from amid the fluffy white array of distended plumage as he turned slowly round and round posed and strutted quite human-like before Sophie's bewildered vision His prolonged gobbles, as he majestically patrolled the chicken-pen, had for her an ineffable musical charm. She had once read a syndicated story in a newspaper magazine supplement in which reincarnation and transmigration of souls figured in a supernatural and flesh-creepy plot after she had heard josh varney's allusion to reincarnation in his first talk with us at the store she had hunted it up and reread it carefully in the woeful and sobby tale a beautiful princess and her affinity discovered that they had once loved as shellfish and through countless ages had periodically met in other strange forms Which did not happen to be identical until the time of the story, when they met in a phosphorescent light in the dusty tomb of a Manchu ancestor. End of chapter seven, part two. Recording by Tom Hirsch.